From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode nine of What's Wrong with Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO and Chief Revenue Scientist here at Square Two, and I'm joined by Eric Kalis, who was off last week, but he's back. Eric, welcome back. Thank you. I, I, I missed uh, WWWR. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad to have you back. So um, today we're going to talk about how to go from 10 leads a month to 100 leads a month. And I have an awesome case study prepared for a real client who, who had a similar journey so we're going to talk all about that. I know you have a lot to say. I'll remind everybody real quick to check out our live, our uh, webcast uh, on YouTube, What's Wrong With Revenue. You can find it at the Square Two channel. Please subscribe to it, like it, provide us comments. I do keep an eye on the comments and I reply as quickly as possible. Follow us and subscribe to our show on all the podcast platforms, Podbean, Stitcher, iTunes, Apple, we're everywhere your favorite podcasts are currently streaming. And if you want to subscribe to the show, if you want to ask questions to us uh, in advance of the show, if you want to get access to old shows, go to the square2marketing.com website. There's a link at the bottom, what's wrong with revenue, and you can subscribe to the show and we will email you the show every single week after it's finished. And we'll also give you a little bit of heads up of what upcoming shows so that you can participate or ask questions. So lots of ways to get access to the content. So Eric, everybody wants more leads, but do you want more leads or do you want quality leads? How do you go from 10 leads to 100 leads? It seems like such a, an aspirational objective if you've been trying to generate leads and you certainly know that going, you know, 10X in your leads is certainly not an easy endeavor. Is this about driving more visitors to your website, but deploying the right offers and understanding the prospect buyer journey. Uh, we're gonna talk about what an omni-channel campaign is that drive leads and, and how a high-impact website and landing page can help you impact your number of leads. We're gonna talk about nurture campaigns. We're gonna try to cover it all. It's a lot, a uh, lot to unpack, don't get me wrong. Uh, we'll talk about how to plan for this kind of lift and the strategy that needs and the thinking that needs to go into it. You know, we'll talk about all the sources of website visitors because obviously that's one of the first places we're going to try to drive some improvement and how to turn those visitors into leads. Um, we'll talk about a key uh, sticking point that we find a lot with clients is they don't have the right late stage buyer journey offers. We'll talk specifically about that. Um, and then how long it takes to 10X your lead gen and what kind of effort and investment is typically required. So like I said, it's a lot to unpack. And I do have a couple of questions, which we'll get to, and our case study, which I want to cover. But Eric, what do you, uh, what's your uh, contribution to this uh, strain here? 
my contribution would be that it's about all of the above and sometimes none of the above. And that's the big perplexing part because it's not straightforward. It's not, well, my machine isn't running, I will replace this part and it will run. It's just so many moving parts in a marketing program that, like I said, sometimes it's all and sometimes it's none, but we'll get into some of the details and the nuances of each component. Yeah, I think it can be overwhelming for sure. And I think that does sometimes contribute to people's inability to kind of act on improving their leads. Just seems like such so many things to do and, and such a heavy lift. And, and it is, but we're gonna we're gonna hopefully share some um, tricks of the trade associated with uh, driving this kind of improvement. So look, you love strategy. We always talk about strategy for tactics. So if I was working at a company and I wanted to 10X my lead gen, what kind of back-end strategy and planning should I be thinking about in order to get ready to drive some improvements like this? Well, I mean, 10X lead gen. Let's just unpack that phrase, right? Is that 10 times more people coming into my database each month? Because if we use the, top, the common thing that leads are really just contacts that converted on my website, I could blow that out 10 times for any company right now. Win a free trip to the Caribbean. Simply give us your email address. Even though I'm a law firm that specializes in workman's comp issues, if I put that offer on my website, I could 10X my lead gen. But then I'll get the wrong people. I'll get people that are interested in a trip to the Caribbean and not that have a workman's comp case. And that's where sometimes people fall down. You know as well as I do that when people go to the trade show, they're like, oh, give me your business card and you can, you can putt on our little putting green for a chance to win a stuffed animal. They come back with a thousand business cards from the trade show, but they don't have anybody that buys from them. And that's a big challenge. So number one, the strategy is who do I want to attract? What makes them qualify? Who is the perfect client that I need to fulfill my revenue goals? So strategy, like we talk about every single episode, precedes any of the tactical stuff. The second part of that is just because they got into my database, that's not enough. I have to continue to tell my story. So nurturing, as you said earlier, is something that a lot of companies just forego. It's not one and done. And you know my favorite story about nurturing. The husband and wife get married. They're on the altar. The husband says, I love you. Six months later, the wife says, how come you never tell me you love me anymore? He says, I told you on the altar, if anything changes, I'll let you know. That's not the way it works. You have to say, I love you all the time. So even if I 10X my lead gen, what do I do with those leads? I have to now nurture them and tell them stories and drip on them with content to build a case why they should engage with me. So there's at least two strategic things that I think a lot of people miss or at least discount. Yeah, I mean, let's just admit we're we're not trying to just generate new contacts here. We are trying to generate leads, right? And we qualify leads as someone that is interested enough to request some educational information in exchange for an email address. And that basically, I think that checks the box for someone that is interested in what you do. Now, they might not be ready to buy today. They might not ever be ready to buy, but they are not giving you their contact information in exchange for a trip to the Caribbean or an iPad or, or a stuffed animal at a trade show, they're exchanging information for some type of educational content that is relevant to what you do and who you do it for. So if we define leads like that, then I think the, the, the question of how do you 10X the amount of leads you're getting becomes a lot more mechanical, right? So let's just start at the top, right? If you're getting 
3,000 people to your website today and you're generating 10 new good educational marketing qualified leads as we define them and you need to get to 100, there are really two ways to do that. You can get more people to come to your website and convert at the same rate or you can increase the conversion rate. Or, and this is what we would obviously recommend is you could do both. And I'd like to talk a little bit about doing both. Let's talk about getting more people to your website. And then let's talk about, talk about how you convert more people who come to your website. If you look at both of those levers and work on them together, you're going to have a better chance to get to 10X uh, marketing qualified leads. Any comment? That is correct. Okay, good. <laughs> Just checking. Okay, so if we're going to start with, get, let's get more people to your website, because we ought to do that, regardless, then you can break that down further too. And this is where this idea of omni-channel comes into place. It, generally, what we find a lot is clients are doing one thing. I'm doing search engine optimization. I'm not doing anything else. I'm just trying to do search engine optimization, and it's not producing results. I, it is producing some results, but it's not enough for you to notice, honestly. And the way this is really going to work to get you 10x is you're going to have to do all the things we're about to talk about. So your website, yes, you have to do SEO. You have to make sure that your website is SEO optimized for the keywords, keyword phrases, questions, all those things that you that your prospects, the people you want to be talking to, are looking for when they go to Google or Yahoo or Bing, right? Search has changed a lot. You need to be savvy on, on, on how Google decides what they're ranking and what they're not ranking. It's actually a whole science in and of itself. And unfortunately, yes, it's one of the things that you have to either be good at on your own or find someone to help you who is an expert at this. There's, there are many things that go into the Google algorithm that to decide whether to rank your page or not. And it changes constantly. So it's a practice in and of itself. One thing I tell people frequently is, Google is not ranking your website. It's ranking your website pages. Individual pages rank, websites don't rank. So uh, if you're trying to do better on this, then you wanna look for things like, are my visitors clicking on pages when they land on it? That basically means you're giving them what they're looking for. They're finding it, either a link to another page or something that they can get from that specific page. Are they spending a, a, a reasonable amount of time on that page? If they're landing and tense, not even three seconds later leaving, that's not a reasonable time on that page as far as Google is concerned. Um, uh, is there anything else on the, the Google signaling that I'm forgetting? No, I mean, those are certainly the highlights. And, you know, search engine optimization is important, but only, you know, once again, strategically, right? Because I don't have an unlimited budget. I can't search engine optimize everything. I have to be strategic going back to the persona that I want. How are they searching? What questions do they have? So it becomes even more complex than just finding someone who knows the algorithms. Of course, right. And it's also about constantly publishing new and fresh content. Like Google is also looking for uh, uh, websites that publish new content and, and rich content like pillar pages. If you're not sure what a pillar page is, um, 
you know, pillar pages are really long and rich uh, uh, pages on your website with a lot of information on a lot of links and a lot of resources. And people tend to spend more time on them and they click around and, you know, a pillar page is designed to, to check a lot of boxes that Google is looking for from its signaling algorithm. And that's why people use them. Your site probably needs a pillar page or two related to key search terms of which you want to be found for. So yeah, it's a practice in and of itself, one that you got to uh, invest some time or ener energy into, or like I said, find someone who is an expert at organic search and make sure they're helping you optimize your, your, your pages. Um, social, you need to have a social presence. People are looking for businesses on social websites, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, I'm not saying every single platform is right for every single business. Lots of times we recommend clients pick a platform and get really good at it. Um, you know, maybe, you know, if you have a a, a more visual story to tell, Instagram might be the platform that you really lean into. If you have a different story to tell, maybe it's Facebook. If you have a more business story to tell, maybe it's uh, LinkedIn. If you have a more newsy story to tell, maybe it's Twitter. You know, it, it's difficult to be great at all of them. Maybe over time you move from one to the other as you get good at one of them. But again, it's an entire uh, set of tactics related to getting your story out on social and maintaining those streams because that's what people are looking for on, on social. Uh, email. Email directly drives people back to your website. So you need to have a, a, a fairly regular email marketing campaign that goes out to prospects and customers and partners and whoever it is you want to talk to so that those people are driven back to your website as a result of your email campaigns. Email generally has a couple of very specific goals associated with it, getting people to open it, getting them to click on it, and getting them back to your website. So email is going to be a driver of website traffic as well. Um, one that is probably missed frequently are referral sites. You want to have other sites that are talking to your audiences, linking people back to your website in the content that they're publishing. There's lots of ways to do this. You can guest blog. You can uh, create relationships with a, a affiliates who might be talking to the same people you want to talk to and have them publish your content or have um, give you the opportunity to email your content out to their lists. You know, there's a lot of ways to drive referral sites back to your website. Uh, it's actually a, uh, another signal to Google when you have high domain authority, high value websites with links to your website, Google agrees that that's, there's some value in what you're publishing and helps rank your pages more aggressively. So that might be an example of a area that you're gonna focus on that might impact two of these four or five sources for more information, more to get more people to come to your website. Um, and then the rest of it is kind of paid, right? You can drive people to your website with paid search. You can drive people to your website with paid social. Uh, and, and really the trick here is to try to optimize all of these sources as much as you possibly can, as long as you possibly can, and as aggressively as you possibly can. Eric makes a really great point. It's very difficult for everybody to do all of these things, in which case you then have to pick the ones that are best suited for you and your capabilities, your budget, and, and where your prospects are spending most of their time. One other addendum, Mike, if you don't mind, I think we glossed over something that drives a lot of website traffic and that's differentiation, AKA being remarkable. When you take the time to develop a truly differentiated story about your firm, so much so that it creates buzz in your industry, you then get the benefit of the word of mouth and website traffic that comes when people are checking you out. 
They want to see what's new. Wow, they can solve a problem a different way. Let me go see what's going on. So without spending any money, by positioning your company as more remarkable and then breathing that story into the website so that one person tells their buddy, <coughs> wow, what a difference. You know, I often talk about Warby Parker, my favorite eyeglass company, right? And when I heard about it originally that I can go to their website and I could pick out five frames, they'll ship them to my house. I could try them on in the comfort of my home pick one or maybe not, and then return the frames at my leisure and place my order, I was blown away. I immediately went to the site to see if it was real, to see how it works. That buzz by creating something different than other opticians didn't have created more website traffic. As simple as that. Yeah, it's a really great point. And there is another source. I mean, if you're looking at you know, website visitor data, you'll notice this other source called direct traffic. And that's exactly what Eric's describing. Now, Unfortunately, direct traffic is also where Google throws all the stuff that they can't identify. So it's a little bit of a muddy bucket, but you know, Eric's right. If you're typing in square2marketing.com because you heard we were awesome and you're landing on our website, that's direct traffic. So you do wanna make sure that you are getting a good buzz and a good word of mouth and people are uh, aware of your URL, typing it in, finding it and, and landing on your website because there is something interesting going on there and people are, are talking about it. So good, good point. And yeah, we were going to blow right by that. So thank you. So let's consider that step one, right? You've optimized all those sources and you're really starting to get more visitors to your website. So now you're going by that, Mike, can we say that we now have 10 X the amount of website traffic? Yes. Um, mathematically, we might not need 10 X, right? Because of the way the math works, but yeah, for sake of argument, we have 10 times more people coming to the website. We now have to turn those people into leads, right? And this becomes kind of like the second step in this journey towards 10X. And there are some very specific ways to do this as well. The most important is the story you tell when they land on your website. And this circles all the way back to strategy and what Eric and I talked about in the very beginning. If you don't have anything interesting to say, if you look like all your competitors on your website, if there's nothing remarkable about your business, it's going to be very hard to tell an emotional, compelling, and remarkable story in 10 seconds. Google and Microsoft have all done research. They've done this research over and over and over again. You have 10 seconds to grab someone's attention on your website and get them to click around and hopefully get them to convert. So you really have to be succinct and tight, dramatic, and you really have to touch uh, you know, an, an emotional string and it will be very compelling in terms of what you're saying about the site and the value you're going to be offering your potential customers and the people that are visiting the site. We typically refer to this as your story. That story has to be, it just has to be you know, 10 out of 10. You know, you, if you're gonna think you're gonna get along with a vanilla story, if you think you're gonna you know, say what your competitors are saying because that feels safe, you're probably going to have a relatively low conversion rate. You're going to have a relatively high bounce rate. You're not going to be leveraging all of the energy that you put into creating all those visitors if you can't tell them a really compelling story upon landing. I feel like that's an opening for you. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think that that's, I'm sorry, I, I missed that segue. But I, I think that that's so big. And like, let's not gloss over that, right? If I now have 10X traffic to my website, that was a lot of effort to get them to come there. And then when they come there, I got a vanilla story. Oh, 
how disappointing. But if I come there and I'm like, wow, look what this company can do to solve my problems, right? And it could be something pedestrian, like let us automate your manufacturing facility and never have a down production line again. Do you know how many where, uh, uh, operations people would love to have that solution? That's sexy. That's interesting to them specifically. Now, if I come here and it's, we've been in business for three years and we have a 50,000 square foot facility, I'm like, all right, that's cool, but I still have a down production line back here. What am I going to do about that? And that's where most companies don't engage. And if we, don't, if we want to convert someone from a website visitor into our database, the first step must be engagement. We must catch them. We must make that emotional connection to say, whoa, something's different is going on here. Let me see more. That's when people start to dive into your website, into your uh, uh, reference earlier to Google watching. If I'm on a website for five minutes, that's a long effing time to be exploring a website. Google takes notice of that, and now it helps my other efforts as well. But if I have nothing interesting to say, the bounce rate could be 85%. Yeah. I mean, you're starting to see, as we talk about these different, what would, would appear to be completely different tactics from a marketing perspective, they're all related, right? If you have a great story on your website and I, and I land on your website and I click around, well, that signals Google, you got a good website, right? I landed on it. I found it in search. I landed on it. I clicked. Obviously, I found something I was looking for. So an amazing story is going to drive organic search results. Now, the story piece is interesting because it's it's really hard. It's something we're really good at, but it's really hard for most, especially people who are in their businesses, who are looking at it from the, the inside uh, perspective. It's hard for them to look at it from the outside perspective. Um, that's typically something that agencies can add from a value perspective is we can look at your business from your prospects perspective and maybe give you some different context to what, 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 what prospects might connect with. But people coming to your website they want to make sure they're in the right place, right? So they quickly have to know that this is for them. They have to make sure that you, they, they have to check the box that you understand their pain. So Eric gave you a really good example of my production line is down, right? Like if that's a pain of theirs, they have to see that you have solutions for down production lines in 10 seconds, right? So is this a site for operation managers? Do they have solutions for down production lines? Okay, yes, yes, good. I'm looking around, wait a minute. They, 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 it's never going to go down again. I haven't heard that before. That is very interesting. So that element of hearing or seeing or, or feeling something they haven't felt before has to be there as well. And then the last item is they don't trust you. Let's be honest. None of us really trust marketers or, or marketing content. So they have to see that there are other people like them who have had, had positive experiences. We typically in the industry refer to that as social proof. There's a lot of ways to provide social proof. You, a lot of people show logos of other companies that hired them. That's one way to do it. Testimonials, um, uh, comments from customers, videos of testimonials. Uh, those are all really good elements of social proof. Those four uh, components need to be part of the story and they need to be prevalent on your homepage and they need to be delivered in 10 seconds. So it is a complicated exercise, but one that is critical to you turning a visitor into a lead. 100 well said, well okay, said. Good. Thank you. Okay, so let's stay on this track of conversion, right? So in order to drive conversions, you need to get that compelling story to suck them in. And then you need to provide them educational content. We talk about the buyer journey a lot, but the buyer journey is long, it's chaotic, it has tons of different people influencing it, and you're trying to get in that game. You're trying to influence their decision-making ability with your own content. So you have to publish content. 
You have to have content that answers their questions. Again, let's stick with this operations manager or this factory manager because it's such a good story. You know, if they're looking to learn how to keep their line from going down, if you have content on your website that talks specifically about that, they're probably going to want to take a look at it, right? And that is how you're going to get them to convert, right? Now, you may leave it ungated, which we'll talk about in a second, or you may gate it because you want, you know, to get that lead, uh, that email address right away. Regardless, the content is key to moving them along their buyer journey with you. Whoever creates the best educational, entertaining, engaging, emotional content is going to win the game for lead gen. So you have to be in that game in order to win it. You have to create enough content to drive the amount of leads you want. Just think about this for a second. And then Eric, I'll let you uh, add more, some more color here. If you had a video of a production manager who was crying because the line was about to go down and whatever you do for them, you help them keep it up and they were able to ship their product and it saved whatever, like, how compelling is that story? Who wouldn't want to learn a little bit more about that? And all that takes is a little uh, ideation and a little creativity around taking a story and, and making it digestible in terms of what kind of content format, whether it's a, a short story on a PDF or a video or a little uh, animated story. Like it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter. Whatever's going to resonate with your prospects is going to be how you're going to want to deliver that. But that story, that content itself, is going to get that person to engage with you and want to learn a little bit more. Agreed. You know, I want to make sure that we understand that this all goes back to persona work, right? And understanding who you're targeting, pains and problems, questions that they might have, issues, long-term, short-term, you really have to dive into that. The other day I asked a client, um, hey, or prospective client, hey, um, you know, we're going to have to work on your personas. Oh, we have personas. Oh, great. That'll save us some time and money. Send them over. Let me take a look at it. It was literally like two or three sentences. It was like, marry the manager, you know, a 40 year old, whatever. And no, 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 it's got to go deep. This is who Mary is. These are the pains that she has. These are the issues that she's looking to solve. And by the way, this is what uh, she lays awake in bed at night worrying about. These are things that we do as a company that can help Mary. Let's describe these to her. Like it's so much deeper. People are like, oh, white papers, ebooks. Like, uh, no, this is exactly where the rubber meets the road, especially if we're going for 10X lead gen. This is where we have to convert them. Now, the other thing about personas that a lot of people miss is that the way you deliver this information is important. Think about it. Sales managers, they want a two minute video because they're off to the party. But engineers, they want a white paper, 50 pages, a lot of charts and diagrams, not a lot of photos, right? And you have to think about it because people, I put a video up and nobody watches it. Yeah, you're selling to actuaries, like that doesn't work or vice versa. Hey, we put up this 50 page paradigm shifting term paper. Yeah, but you're selling to you know, somebody who likes to have the short and sweet version. And that's where a lot of people fall down by not doing that hard work necessary to understand their perfect client. I always say to prospects, describe to me your favorite client. You could talk about that for 10 or 15 minutes. Let me, well, what do they do this? How do they do that? What do they prefer here? When you start to really dive into your favorite client, they become alive. Oh, I see. That's what they're looking for for my company. In our accelerator program, which is Square Two's biggest differentiator, we clearly identified after hearing it for years, 
when am I going to get my leads, Mike? How fast are my leads going to come? We were like, that's enough of that. Let's solve this problem of what our persona wants, which is speedy delivery of results. And that's where the accelerator was born. But we had to hear it. I mean, look, we're no different than the average, right? We had to hear it a hundred times before someone smacked us on the side of the head with a two by four and made us wake up and develop a new service offering. Yeah, those are some really good points. And back to one of the things we talked about earlier about um, driving visitors. If you're doing a good job with persona work, and this is where we add a lot of um, uh, color when we take clients' existing persona work and help them build it out is, where are those people spending their time online? What blog to the reading? Hold on. Let's talk about that a little in depth because that's the watering hole concept that right. we love, right? So it think is. about it. You're in Africa, right? There's the one watering hole with the fresh water in the middle of the desert. You got your elephants, you got your zebras, you got your giraffes. They're all gathering there and they're sharing that water. Your personas, listeners of ours, they have watering holes, to, sorry, watering holes. Sorry about the Philly water thing, right? They have watering holes where they're going and they're gathering and sharing information. That could be online uh, forums that could be LinkedIn user groups, reading certain blogs, right? Uh, following key opinion leaders. You got to be in that spot because that's where those people are gathering and sharing information. And that's what a lot of people miss always. I'll just send it out into the uh, uh, atmosphere and hope that someone sees it. No, not a shotgun, a rifle. Let's get it right into the place where our people are gathering. Yeah, it's a great point. And those people are also, they're in associations, they're in membership organizations, you know, they're attending. Uh, they're looking at websites related to certain events, right? You don't have to necessarily attend an event to get access to an audience if there's a site that supports the, that the annual event with additional content. So there are a lot of ways to look at Eric's watering hole concept, but it's it's really important in terms of driving people to your website and getting access to, to your audience, especially from an inbound perspective. Real good point, Eric. Thanks. Um, so let's just stretch this content piece out a little bit because it's not just about content with a form and a CTA button and an ebook. Your entire website represents content. We talked about pillar pages. Your blog represents content. And the thing that's nice about the blog is it does check a lot of boxes. A, it shows Google you're publishing fresh content. They like that. B, people subscribe to your blog, which means they are getting notifications when new blog articles are written. You should be driving people to subscribe to that blog, whether they want to hire you or not. If they're a blog subscriber, they have an interest in the content you're publishing in the blog. If you just think about it, if you publish that blog once a month, you're touching them once a month. If you published it once a week, you're touching them four times a week. If you published it four times a week, you're touching them 16 times a month. So it's an opportunity to continue talking to those people about issues that they obviously have or they wouldn't have subscribed to the blog. And you're doing it in a way in which they have asked you to do it. You're not bothering them. You're not spamming them. You're not emailing them. You're simply notifying them that there's a new article on a site that they are interested in. They should go check it out, right? So there's a ton of ways to leverage content on your website. All of it has to be designed to convert that anonymous visitor into someone who you know. Now, I don't want to spend a ton, ton of time on this because we talked about it um, last week, Eric, you missed it, but the gated versus ungated thing, it's just worth talking about for two minutes because you just have a decision to, to make. If you want to gate everything, there's nothing wrong with that except understand that people are going to be leaving without giving you their contact information, right? So they never got to read your, your, your ebook or your research paper or, your, or watch your video, right? 
understand that a small percentage of people end up converting on our website. So you just have to understand that this is now going to be a game that's probably more about driving a ton of visitors because you have a relatively low conversion rate and it might be 1% site-wide. If you ungate your content, you're going to be letting many more people see your content, but you won't know who they are until they're ready to talk to you, which we're gonna talk about in a second, like understanding the buyer journey and having very specific conversion offers for people who are ready to talk to you. The thinking behind ungating is almost all of our websites are pretty good at letting people know how to get in touch with you. We have contact us pages, we have talk to us pages. If you're doing it right, you should have a chat button where they can click a button and talk to you immediately over chat. So the ungated theory is, more people will see your content, so more people will be ready to talk to you. And when they are, they'll know how to get in touch with you because it's not that hard to get in touch with you through your website. So I'm not recommending one over the other. I think it's going to be a very personal decision based on your goals and objectives and kind of what you've been asked to do from a marketing perspective. But understand the differences as we kind of uh, work through the rest of this. Eric, anything else? Well, yeah, and I love last week's episode. Sorry, I missed it again. <laughs> no problem. Okay, so that's, that's, those are like the two big rocks, get more people to your website and convert more of them. Now, um, I want to talk a little bit about omni-channel because this is also where people tend to kind of like, you know, honestly, either get a little lazy or are just not uh, uh, properly equipped from a budget perspective to get all of the channels open to drive all the visitors and convert all the leads. You really need to start thinking about using every marketing tool at your disposal. Like we talked about chat, like I'm still actually kind of flabbergasted at, at the many websites that I land on that don't have chat turned on. You know, it's a no, if you have the right technology platform, it's a no cost way to open up another channel. There are gonna be people who don't wanna fill out a form. And again, this is a really good ungated strategy. Give them all my educational content and encourage them to chat with you when they're ready to talk to you, right? Or chat to you if they have a question or chat with you if they can't find something or chat with you if they have, have a, uh, an issue that is not represented on your website. There's so many ways to get them to engage with you. If you use chat right, you can open up an entirely new channel for them to get in touch with you. Um, you know, we talked about paid social. We talked about paid search. These are different channels that you could potentially open up. I will tell you that if they don't work the same way for every client, um, they might not work for you and what you're trying to sell. Believe it or not, there are some businesses that are not search driven. They're more referral driven or they're more, um, uh, uh, I, I guess that referral would really be the only way to look at it. They're just not, people aren't going to Google to look for someone. They're, they're, they're finding those uh, access points in different places. That, that applies to some businesses, not like, you know, I do think a lot of people tend to feel like, oh, paid search, it's, it works for everybody. It doesn't work for everybody. So, you know, maybe it's good for you, maybe it's not, but you got to consider it, right? You run a test, see how, see how it works. You can run tests for $500 a month, no problem. After a month, month and a half, you'll know for sure whether it's going to work for you or not. If it works, lean into it. If it doesn't, shut it down. Um, but I'm encouraging you to look at all the possible channels, including those, um, affinity programs with partners, right? The watering hole concept that Eric looked at, if there's an association where all of your prospects are in, 
go to that association, see if you can create a deal with them, share your content with them, let them send it out to everybody and you get the credit for it, right? There's lots of ways to open additional channels. You wanna to try to open as many as you possibly can. Anything you wanna add? Well, many is better, but not always best, right? And that's something you just said is tracking and testing. I don't think enough firms take the time to track and test. They just throw money at issues and hope that it works. But with a very modest budget, you could start to get some data in to see if something's working or not. If it is working from initial testing, lean into it. If it's not working, fix it or get rid of it and save the money because there's not one client we've ever had in 19 years that had an unlimited marketing budget. So because we have a limited budget and limited resources, testing and tracking becomes really important to making the highest possible return on investment and not enough people do it. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So before we uh, do a little bit about our case study and handle a couple of questions, I wanna talk about a really important topic that will basically take us from MQLs to SQLs and sales opportunities. And that is late stage buyer journey offers, okay? Whether you're gating or not gating, I find almost all of the companies that end up on our doorstep looking for help do not have high quality late stage buyer journey offers. Do you wanna to explain to everybody what that might be, Eric, and give us a couple of examples? Well, you're the king of the examples, but I'll say that too many people are like, request a quote now. Boy, that sounds fun, Mike. I can't wait to get a quote, right? That's not the way to go. Talk to a salesperson. All of those things are very, very overt and we're going to sell you something. And I think that at the end of the journey where people have decided that they want to engage with a company, there's a lot of different ways that you could do that in a creative way. That's still a sales call on your side of the fence, but on their side of the fence, it looks like you're continuing to help them. Now, spew out some of your favorites, Mike. You have such good ones. Yeah, I mean, the way we kind of define this is you want to deliver value, right? Getting a quote is really no value, right? It's very utilitarian. You need a quote to make a decision. So you're not going to learn anything other than how much something costs. Even a demo, which a lot of software companies lead into as their late stage buyer journey, you're, you, I guess you could say the value is you're showing them the software, but everybody knows it's it's a mediocre experience. And it's, again, to Eric's point, it's a sales call, right? As soon as that demo is done, I'm going to ask you when you'd like to sign up, right? People don't really want to, to buy like that. So if it adds value, we generally classify it as a, as a good late stage buyer journey offer. So Square2 has actually quite a few of these. We will grade your website. So we will literally take your website, run it through a tool that spits out a grade and shows you what you could do to improve the performance of your website. That's obviously value. You don't have to hire Square2 to take that list of recommendations and start uh, working on them to fix your website, right? We have one we rolled out recently. Uh, it's a 13-point HubSpot checkup. We'll literally hop into your HubSpot instance and see what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, and tell you how to fix it. Again, hire us, don't hire us, fix it on your own. That's completely up to you. Um, but we will show you kind of where you need to spend your energy to get your HubSpot tuned up and, and running better. We had a client that offered a free safety audit, right? Hire them, buy their products, or don't. But we'll show you where your factory could be um, less safe than maybe you would like it to be and how you could potentially fix it, right? We had a company that did concrete refinishing. Their offer was send us your picture of your floor and we'll tell you how to make it look better so that the people coming in your store feel good about shopping at your uh, you know, big box uh, retail store, right? Like there are so many ways to just think a little bit differently about this experience 
and then engage those people who are almost ready, want a little value, want to learn a little more and get the sales team or the service team involved in delivering that. Next thing you know, you're having a conversation about how you can help you. I mean, if we looked at your website and said, look, here are six things that really could be better. Do you want to have us fix it? For, would you be more comfortable having us fix it for you? Or do you want to start all over again, looking for a website company to, pro to provide the same services that we already identified for you? So literally, this is the kind of stuff we do with clients all the time. It's relatively easy for us because we do it as a profession. But these late stage buyer journeys are critical to not only creating MQLs, which we talked about very early, but SQLs and sales opportunities. Because eventually, if you tend, as it's Eric's initial point, if you go from 10 to 100, and they're really not that qualified, they're all early stage buyer journey people, eventually your CEO is probably going to say to you, well, where are all my sales opportunities? Because that's just generally what CEOs do. You, you need that back end lead, like a sales ready lead component to your offer, just as much as you need those early stage educational uh, opportunities. Too. Yep. Once again, well spoken, Mike. Thank you. All right. Um, let's do a question and then we'll hop into the case study. Okay. So this is a good one, uh, Eric. This is from John in uh, Pasadena. He wants to know what level of investment, either internal or with an agency, would be required to 10x the amount of leads we're currently getting? This seems right up your alley. Well, I hate to be wishy-washy, but it depends, right? And that's obviously uh, because every company is different. But I'll tell you, a balance between not spending a lot of money and spending a lot of money is the goal. Internally, if your team, leadership team, would take the time to work on the story and the differentiation and brainstorm things like end of journey offers that they could have, like, why don't we give a 13 point safety audit, right? If they could brainstorm that, all that's free. Now, there's some operational uh, issues as you breathe these new offers into your day to day operations, but they don't cost any advertising dollars. So number one, strategically, storytelling, messaging, differentiation, being remarkable, all that's free. It just takes some time. Secondarily to that, it's a direct relation to how much you want to grow, how aggressive you want to grow. If you're a million dollar company and you want to be a million one next year, you really don't need too much marketing. Some good execution to get you a few extra referrals each month should be enough. But if you're a $40 million company and you really want to be a $50 million company, yeah, you need a decent investment in marketing to generate enough sales opportunities to hit the revenue goals. And how you figure that out is another day's conversation about um, how many leads and conversion rates and big fish and small fish as far as qualification goes that I more than have. Oh, wait, Mike, Easter egg. If you email me at eric at square2marketing.com, I'll show you how many leads you need to get to your goal in 30 minutes or less. Eric, E-R-I-C, at square2marketing.com. But realistically, Mike, in order to 10 exit, if you're a decent-sized company, call it $5 million to $50 million in sales, and you want to get to the next level, if you don't have too much going on now and you want to 10x your leads, you might be up for 10, 20, $25,000 a month to build out a program, at least in the short to intermediate term. Now, if you have a lot of stuff going on, but it's not very strategic, and as we said in one of our earlier episodes, random acts of marketing, there you could probably spend less because you need someone to help analyze and optimize what you're doing, or maybe orchestrate what you're doing, as opposed to building it from scratch. There are too many companies that have chintzed out on their investment in marketing. Now, all of a sudden, they want to grow rapidly. And because they didn't put in the hard work and the investment dollars before, yeah, they're up against a pretty large bill to kind of build it from scratch. 
But if you've been listening to us and picking away, and maybe you had a firm that helped you with one thing two years ago and another firm that helped you with a third thing last year, and you have some momentum, then it's all about optimization, orchestration, and integration. So to use hard numbers, I think the typical client for us that's got it going on and they need some gaps filled, five to $10,000 a month. If you have done nothing, well, now you're paying the piper. Now you might be up against a $100,000 accelerator for six months to really build it all out and then start to get the traction you're looking for. And of course, anywhere in between. So I'm not giving a sales pitch. I'm just trying to be realistic about some of the numbers that people should be investing in the US in their marketing if they're interested in 10Xing their leads. That makes a lot of sense. Let's get to this case study because this is such a good one. Um, if we have some time, I do have a couple more questions and we can bounce over there. Um, I want to share my screen because I actually, we're using this tomorrow. Um, can you see that? I sure can. Okay, so at Square Two, we have some Hall of Fame clients and this is one of them. This is True Methods. True Methods is a software company they also provide educational and community educational community-based education to uh, owners of MSPs. The MSP is the company that takes care of your laptops and your servers and your internet when you you can't really hire your own internal IT people. Um, they do that for a lot of small businesses and even for bigger businesses that might have IT staff. They become a backup you know, 24-hour emergencies and laptop setup and things like that. So it's a very, um, it's a very prevalent industry. Um, it's a very growing industry. And a lot of these MSPs are small or smaller businesses, and they need a lot of help. True Methods provides the services that, that helps them be really good at what they, uh, let them focus on really good at what they do, and it helps them manage their businesses better. So when we met True Methods, uh, what they needed was, they had a limited team and resources. So they needed some additional bandwidth. They wanted to ramp up growth with better marketing. They wanted to grow faster and they felt like marketing was a way to do it. They were a HubSpot client and they wanted to better leverage it. So what we did was revise their messaging and upgraded their story like we talked about. We gave them a much more compelling story that appeals to MSP, uh, owners of MSPs. We improved their website experience, created regular outreach campaigns. In their case, it was monthly. And we worked on SEO, social, and targeted paid media. And the results were they doubled their website visitors. So this is kind of what I you know, jokingly you know, teased Eric about earlier. By doubling their website visitors, not 10Xing their website visitors, just doubling it and driving some of the other on-site experiences with content, they were able to go from 40 leads a month when we met them to 400 leads a month. And from 25 new customers a month, to 50 new customers a month. So this is the kind of growth we're saying is possible. Here's an example of a company that was able to do exactly what we're talking about. And you can't really see the details of the slides, but I pulled a couple of HubSpot dashboards to show you that generally this is the way the trends were going for them. And yes, it took them a significant amount of time, you know, four or five years of really working on this aggressively and investing in it regularly and focusing on it produces this kind of results. Now, I will tell you that they did not spend $10,000 a month, so they probably could have got to this point faster had they had a larger budget or were willing to invest a little more in it. But the final result for these guys were they had a successful exit at the end of last year. This is the kind of result that can be achieved if you focus kind of omni and across all of the different opportunities and invest properly and have a realistic timeline associated with it 
you can drive these kind of results for your company too. They didn't do anything special other than follow the prescription that Eric and I have been talking about with you today. And they were patient and methodical and they didn't have a huge internal team. They leaned on, on us. You could lean on any agency. Again, I'm not you know pitching square two services here, but we supplemented what they couldn't do on their own. We supplemented areas of expertise that they didn't have. They did create a lot of content on their, on their own. They did manage a lot of campaign launches on their own. And we helped them with some of the other things that, that they weren't able to do, didn't want to do, or, or really didn't have the expertise to do. Um, the results speak for themselves. Almost Again, almost anybody can do something similar if they have the, this kind of approach to it. Anything you want to add, Eric? I'll tell you the one thing that I'd like to just highlight is their persistence. They were with us spending money and you're right. They didn't spend 10,000 a month. They were one of our more modest budgeted clients, but they stuck with it. And they kept adding layers upon layers and trying new things and uh, doing, uh, leaning into the things that they do well and eliminating the things that weren't working exactly as we described. And you pulled the perfect uh, uh, example because they had the pig headed determination to keep driving forward. I think that's another problem with a lot of folks. We'll try this, we'll try that. It didn't work, cancel it, cancel it, cancel it, cancel it. No, no, sometimes things take time to really flourish. I could not agree more. And the other interesting thing about these guys is, and, it, and this is also not, not common, believe it or not, not common. They did have alignment around the importance of these kind of initiatives from the very top. The, the owner of the company, was a big believer in marketing, a big believer in, in, as Eric said, you know, consistently marketing month over month, week over week, never thinking that marketing is something you stop. We do get surprisingly to us anyway, so many companies that feel like marketing is something you do for a period of time and then you're done and you can take a break and you can go and put that money somewhere else while the marketing just kind of chugs around in the background. That is absolutely not how it works. If you're not investing in it regularly, any of the results that you've achieved will come back down and settle into a point that you're not going to be happy with. You must be continually investing in marketing and continually working to beat last month's performance and optimize your resources and your investment accordingly. It has to be a, um, a quest that is never achieved. It has to be a journey that is never completed. You have to always be working to make it a little bit better and you will be rewarded accordingly. Thank you. Any more questions from the audience? Yeah, I do have a couple more questions. Let's bang those out before we wrap up. So um, this is a good one too. Um, and we didn't, we kind of danced around it. We didn't really talk specifically about it. What would an internal team look like if I wanted to 10X the number of leads I had? This is from Mark. He's a CMO at a small company in uh, Orlando, Florida. Is a great question. You have an answer for Mark? Uh, start it off. Let me add some color to it because you're pretty sure. good. Sure. So um, the internal team is a really interesting question. So what I would do is I would take a look at, at again, strategically, what you need to execute to drive the leads, right? Is it a lot of visitors? Is it a lot of conversions? Is it a lot of content? You know, what are you thinking the mix is gonna be? Do you need paid? Do you not need paid? Can you get to your numbers without pay? Like I would work through the strategy on your own and identify what the campaign execution and what the overall omni-channel execution is gonna look like. And then take a look at the resources you have in-house, right? If you have a content person, and you feel like you can create the content required to uh, 
meet your, your content obligations, both frequency and type and format, um, you're going to need some kind of content person, right? They could be in-house. If you don't have those resources, you could outsource that to an agency that specializes in content or a freelancer that you find that is going to be good at content. Generally, we recommend that clients at least try to keep content in-house because it does cut the learning curve, right? Instead of trying to explain to someone else what you do as a business, if they're in-house, they generally are going to know what you do. Um, I would think that content person would have to be multi-experienced in both written and, and video content, because I think video needs to be a huge part of your content program. So content would be one area that I'd be checking. Um, another, and this is probably different than what we might've recommended a couple of years ago, we're gonna suggest you have some type of technology stack and some type of platform of which you're running all of this off of so that you get the data, can make good decisions. You're gonna need someone that can, can uh, take care of that tech stack and operate it and adjust it and pull dashboards and make changes to your program when you see something's not working and you wanna adjust it. So typically we refer to that as a marketing operations person, someone that has a lot of process and systems expertise, maybe a touch of coding, maybe they go deep with one particular platform that you're leaning into, it could be HubSpot or Salesforce or um, any of the other marketing automation tools. Uh, I think that's something that you're going to be looking for. Also, again, if you don't have that skill set, you can get that externally also. Um, I'll add in one, Mike. Sure, that'd be great. Something we've been talking about all day, but you didn't include, which is the strategy person. Now, most of our listeners can't afford $150,000, $200,000 annual salary CMO, Chief Marketing Officer or VP of Marketing. So you got to fill that seat on the bus. That's a seasoned person who's done this many, many times that understands how all the things work together and are looking at the program from a 30,000 foot view, not a 30 foot view. So that's where small agencies, fractional CMOs, um, agencies that have a strategy component as part of their service offerings can really help because we don't want everybody playing in the band. That makes for a lot of noise. But if you have one band leader who's tying it all together, that's where the beautiful music comes from. And I think that um, firms don't invest in that. And I'll give you our own example with Nick DeStefanis, our longtime accountant. We cannot afford a CFO as a 45-person firm. But we can afford a few hours a month of a seasoned financial strategy person to help us think about ways to increase our margins, to eliminate bad debt, to uh, increase cash flow, all of those things. Look, we could do it ourselves if we spent the time to dive in, but we're brilliant at marketing, not at finance. And that's where investing in someone like Nick has really helped us put a really strong financial uh, structure and uh, uh, program. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Not programness, program, programmatic approach to our finances. And we listen to his advice and we implement it, whatever he says to do, and we're successful because of it. It's the same thing with marketing. If you don't have a band leader, just a bunch of noise. That's a really good point. And I think if you're the CEO and you're trying to drive leads, and I couldn't agree more with Eric, if you're the CMO, you may feel like that's your role and that's perfectly okay. But Eric's right. Someone has to play that role for sure. Um, or else you'll have a lot of people running around doing a lot of things and not generating a lot of results. So I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, the and rest in, the long of run, in the long run, it actually saves money because we're yeah. cutting the learning curve by someone who knows what they're doing. It does. It does. You know, and then at that point, you're probably going to need someone to manage campaigns. And it could be somebody who's doing some of those other things too. Like a lot of this is 
difficult to answer. You know, again, Eric made a good point earlier. Every company is a little bit different. But I think if you had someone responsible for content, if you had someone responsible for marketing operations, you were providing the strategy as the CMO. Maybe you had one other person who was responsible for campaign development. Um, and you probably had some, as we like to say, scaffolding around your team, you know, maybe an agency that could, was helping you with some of the execution, um, maybe a video, video editor who was helping you with some of the uh, back-end video work. So you produced the videos and you shipped it out. Someone edited and turned it into nice bite-sized pieces of content. Maybe you have someone that's working on your social because social can sometimes be time-consuming. You know, it's really going to depend on what tactics you're trying to execute. I would basically figure out what tactics I want to execute, look at what resources and skills I have in-house, assign them to those tactics, see what's missing, and then fill that in with outside resources or an agency. That's probably how I would look at it. I think that's wonderful. Really good question. Um, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Um, and there is one more question, just uh, we can handle that pretty simply. It's, is, is there a technology requirement to drive improvements like this? It's a, it's a really good question. We talk about technology a lot. Bottom line, this is from Mary in South Dakota. Mary, no, you don't need technology, but you're going to want technology. You're, it's just so much. All these things we talked about, how could you possibly handle all that without some kind of technology and automation and, and data to provide you the insights you need to see what's working and what's not working? So I'm going to tell you it's a requirement. Yes, you could execute, and people have executed campaigns without technology for millions of years. Of course, you know marketing's millions of years old. But today, I just don't see how you could really do a good job at this without some kind of technology for some of this. Even automatically posting your blog to social media, it's just, it's a click of a button. Could you imagine taking your blog and rewriting stuff or copy and pasting to the social platforms and then hitting, hitting publish? Like that would take you 20 minutes every single time you wrote a blog article when simply using a, a, a technology tool automatically lets you schedule it and post it and you know tag it properly. It's just so, it's gonna be so much better. So I kind of think it's a requirement, even though I'm gonna tell you, you it, maybe not technically. Agreed. Awesome. I really appreciate uh, your, your, your uh, color commentary here, Eric. And I appreciate everyone that, that sat in on this. And a shout out to True Methods for letting us uh, use them as a case study. Congratulations to them on their exit. Um, appreciate everybody for listening today. If you're wondering what we're going to do next week, and if you liked our new format, we're going to shift gears a little bit and upshift into the sales process. We're going to talk about how to go from a 10% close rate to an 80% close rate. What's wrong with revenue? <laughs> What's wrong with revenue? You're not good enough at closing. You need a much higher close rate. And next Wednesday, we'll go into how to improve your close rate from 10% to 80%. I'd like to tell you 100%, but no one bats 1,000. So we're going to get it as high as we possibly can. Thank you so much for joining us, Eric. Thanks for uh, helping out today. Um, if you're interested in the show, check it out on YouTube. Subscribe and like us. Provide us comments. If you're interested in the podcast version, check it out on all your favorite podcast platforms. And if you want to subscribe to the show or submit a question or see all the shows in one place, hop on over to square2marketing.com. Go all the way down to the bottom, find our link that says, what's wrong with revenue? Click on it and you'll be in heaven. Thanks so much for joining us, Eric. Have a really good rest of your day and I'll talk to you guys all soon. Bye-bye.